This podcast is sponsored by Oz. Oz is a premium disposable vape product made with the highest pharmaceutical grade quality ingredients and comes in 12 delicious flavors like velvet tobacco, sweet apple, strawberry banana, grape ice, lemon tart, mango, and so many more. Right now, Oz is offering all of my listeners 50% off their orders. So head on over to letsoz.com and use my promo code HARMONY for 50% off your order. With O's, you'll look forward to your moment of zen. This episode is sponsored by Doom and Groom. Doom and Groom are a craft hair, skin, beard, and tattoo care company based in Denver, Colorado. Their oils, balms, butters, and pomades are great for use from head to toe, keeping your hair and skin healthy and hydrated. All of their products are unisex, dye-free, chemical-free, plastic-free, and organic. Head on over to doomandgroom.net and use my code HARMONYDOOM for 10% off your purchase. Once again, that is doomandgroom.net, promo code HARMONYDOOM. Hey guys, what's up and welcome to the second episode for the week. Since this is my favorite time of year, I figured I would give you guys a little treat every week during this Halloween month. However, there is a little trick up my sleeve with this bonus. Every week I will release one episode that is based on some sort of crime. Now that crime can be centered around Halloween or maybe a more paranormal aspect. But then, I will release a second episode for the week that will be based more on the paranormal side of things. This can be hauntings or just very eerie supernatural mysteries that are unexplainable in the world. So, welcome to the third episode of What the Actual Left's Spooky Season for 2021. So sit back, relax, grab some candy, and let's take a haunted tour around the globe. At one point, I had brought a little teddy bear from home. I was doing a, um, a film with a group called the Booth Brothers. And I set the teddy bear down on the stairs. And we went about, and they were interviewing me, and we, they were talking. And I looked up on those stairs, and the teddy bear was up in the air, swaying back and forth, um, as if a little boy had was playing. determines whether a building is haunted. When a person dies in a house, does that automatically make that place haunted? What if it's a murder, or a suicide, or an unexplainable death? Can that give that building life after death? How about five deaths in one mansion with nearly all of them being by their own hand? Would that make a building haunted? The Lemp family truly qualifies as one of America's most haunting ghost stories. Many of those stories surrounding the seemingly possessed Lemp Mansion. These are all my theories, you know. There are nine identifiable spirits here in this house. And one of them is a spirit that I used to call the Stinky Man. The first time I encountered him, though, he told me to get out. The devastation awaiting the Lemps began with a stroke of fortune. There were only 18 German families in St. Louis in 1833, according to the city's Cultural Resources Office. 
But by 1838, when John Adam Lemp arrived from Eschwege, thousands of Germans had immigrated to Missouri. Originally a grocer, John Adam discovered his biggest seller was a lager his father had taught him to brew. After just two years, he sold his store, opened a brewery, and used a cave system to ferment his golden ticket. This immigrant died a millionaire, the embodiment of the American dream. His son, William J. Lemp, also prospered, building a new brewery in 1864 that eventually spanned five city blocks. On the cusp of the 20th century, the newly incorporated William J. Lemp Brewing Company became the first brewery to distribute coast-to-coast -coast and launched the Falstiff beer brand. This beer is still in circulation. Hilda, William Savvy's daughter, married Gustav Pabst of Milwaukee's Royal Brewing Company. Then the troubles began. William's sickly heir, Frederick, died at age 28 in 1901. About a month and a half later, his good friend Frederick Pabst died on New Year's Day in 1904. This made William go into a decline. On the morning of February 13th, he ate breakfast, retired to his bedroom, and then shot himself in the head with a 38 caliber Smith & Wesson. This was not the last shot to echo in this mansion. William Billy Lemp Jr. took over the business along with his wife Lillian, the so-called Lavender Lady, whose creepy portrait still hangs in the house today. As a playboy and a philanderer, Billy used the beer-making caves as a playground for prostitutes and parties. It is rumored that he ended up having an illegitimate child with Down syndrome. This has led to stories of a ghost that haunts the mansion of this lost child. His name is said to have been Zeke, and if he did exist, he lived in the mansion's locked attic. This has led many visitors of the mansion to try to find Zeke by calling out to him. The company struggled under Billy's indifferent leadership. Then, in 1919, Prohibition passed, crippling the beer industry. No longer the wealthiest heirs in St. Louis and suffering from a troubled marriage, Billy's sister Elsa shot herself in her bedroom in 1920 in March. Billy then dissolved the company and sold its billings and machinery. In 1922, following his father's example, he also shot himself with a 38 caliber handgun. This was done in the family's first floor office of the home. Today, the suicides might be recognized as a genetic predisposition to depression. This has led many people to circulate stories that maybe the Lemp family was cursed, or even maybe the home. The mansion was sold and turned into a boarding house that flopped. Its residents frequently complained of strange disturbances and hearing a voice that was referred to as Zeke. This voice is said to consistently come from the attic. There is another spirit known as Billy the Womanizer. He is accused of peeking over bathroom stalls as women are in them. Some guests even write about seeing glasses or ice being tossed across the rooms. Others were claimed to smell strange perfumes or bad odors. Whether the Lemp Mansion is haunted or not, there is no denying that it has a very dark history. Hey guys, today is a pretty exciting day for me. We will be visiting the Velisca Axe Murder House. Where are we going exactly? Velisca? <laughs> We're ghost hunters. Hunt ghosts! 
When Darwin and Martha Lynn bought the three-bedroom farmhouse at 508 East 2nd Street in Villisca, Iowa in 1994, they planned to turn it into a historical museum. Almost dollhouse-like in its simple layout, the house has the look of countless other cozy farmhouses across the country. The Lynns wanted to revive the home and bring it back to its former glory, a status that came to an abrupt halt in 1912. But we'll get back to that in just a minute. They wanted this to function as an interactive time capsule and a glimpse into what domestic life was like for the average Midwestern family in the early 20th century. The walls, however, had more to say, and the Lynns were ready to listen. Soon after the Lynns bought the home, they got an influx of requests for some unexpected inquiries. Paranormal investigators who wished to visit the house to commune with the ghost of the deceased victims who once lived there. While the couple hadn't even heard of this profession, they quickly realized the little white Velisca farmhouse possibly was the most familiar looking house in the most familiar looking town in the country because it was haunted. This museum now should reflect its deep, dark history. Over a century ago, on one terrible evening in 1912, eight people, the home's occupants, Josiah B. Moore, who was 43, and his wife, Sarah Moore, who was 39, their four children, Herman, age 11, Catherine, age 10, Arthur, age 7, and Paul, age 5, and their two young guests, Ina, who was 8, and Lena Stillinger, who was 12, were brutally murdered in the house in a grisly case that rattled the small town. This case is considered unsolved and completely cold. Some of the most unsettling details about the crime scene, aside from the sheer brutality of the crime itself, this includes a hidden attic, a locked door from the inside, and linens covering every window and mirror in the house. And while there were suspects, every suspect and lead eventually turned into a dead end. The story of the Velisca house didn't actually stop there. The residual hauntings, whether understood as the actual spirits of the victim or the symbolic trauma of an unsolved tragedy, go on and on. The house has changed hands a few times over the past 100 years, and the reported ghost encounters just keep accumulating. Things like disembodied giggles and unexplained screams, unexplained movements of objects, a strange fog that will move from room to room when the train passes through town, and strange behavior from those who visit that indicate a possibility of possession. These are just some of the claims of activity in the home. So what do you think? Do you think there is paranormal presence in the Velisca Axe Murder House? While what happened there in 1912 makes it a terrifying place all on its own, ghost or no ghost, it definitely continues to earn its title as one of America's most haunted houses. A few hours ago, Miss Jean Hollow was graduated by death to whatever the next stage may be. The screen has lost one of its most brilliant personalities. And we who knew her, a kind and gentle friend. Hollywood tonight holds many heavy hearts. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System.
Charlene Harlow Carpenter was born on March 3, 1911. At 16, she married a man named Charles McGrew. However, the wedding didn't last long. Carpenter moved to Los Angeles and became Jean Harlow. In 1929, she appeared in Double Whoopi and The Saturday Night Kid. Harlow became Hollywood's original blonde bombshell. Move over, Marilyn. There's Jean. Although Harlow's star power rose, her personal life would become Hollywood's tragedy. In July 1932, she married Paul Byrne, a successful MGM executive. The marriage was surprising. Byrne was 22 years older and unattractive, at least according to society's norm at the time. Byrne bought an extravagant Bavarian home at 9820 Easton Drive in Benedict Canyon, Los Angeles for none other than his wife. It's rumored that Byrne and Harlow had issues in their marriage from the beginning. The marriage ended in tragedy after just two months. On September 5, 1932, Byrne's butler found Byrne deceased in his bedroom. He was nude with a bullet hole in his head. Authorities recovered a suicide note allegedly written by him. His death was ruled a suicide. However, Byrne's secretary claimed someone murdered him. Another employee also said that the handwriting on the note did not match Burns and called it a forgery. Authorities would later learn that before his death, he received a visit from Dorothy Millette, his common-law wife. Two days after Burns' death, Millette jumped to her death from the Delta King steamboat. So did he commit suicide or was he murdered? Since his death, rumors have swirled that Millette killed him and then took her life due to the guilt. Jean found love again and married cinematographer Harold Rawson. This marriage also ended in divorce after eight months. Five years after Byrne's death, Jean's health took a turn for the worse. In 1937, while filming a movie titled Saratoga, she became ill and was hospitalized. On June 7, 1937, Jean Harlow died at 26 of kidney failure before completing Saratoga. A body double was used to complete the movie in place of Harlow herself. In 1963, a celebrity hairstylist by the name of Jay Sebring bought the former Harlow home. After moving into the home, Sebring began dating a beautiful actress named Sharon Tate. Tate often stayed in the home with Sebring. The two broke up after Tate left Sebring for director Roman Polanski. In 1968, a man named Dick Kleiner interviewed Sharon Tate. He asked if she had ever experienced anything supernatural. She told Kleiner about a terrifying experience that she had at the former Jean Harlow house. She stated that one night while sleeping in the bedroom where Byrne died, she had a strange feeling. Tate then saw a creepy, ghastly man in her bedroom and realized it was Paul Byrne. She ran out of the bedroom and toward the stairs. She then saw a different ghostly figure tied to the staircase. She noticed that this spirit also had its throat slit. Tate believed that this was a premonition of events to come. Little did she know, Paul Byrne's ghost had possibly visited Tate as a warning. On August 9, 1969, a pregnant Tate was staying at 150 Silo Drive in Los Angeles. It wasn't far from the Sebring's home, but on this day, Sebring and other friends were staying with Tate while her director husband, Roman Polanski, worked out in London. Unknown to Tate and her friends, they would become victims of Charles Manson. He had sent a group of his loyal followers to break into Tate's home and kill everyone inside.
We have a weird homicide. In a scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird religious rite, five persons, including actress Sharon Tate, were found dead at the home of Miss Tate and her husband, screen director Roman Polyansky. Miss Tate, who starred in Valley of the Dolls, was eight months pregnant and was found in a bikini-type nightgown with a rope around her neck attached to the body of a man. Two bodies inside, two bodies outside. Among the other victims were Hollywood hairstylist Jay Sebring and coffee heiress Abigail Folger. Authorities would allow no one in an unofficial capacity inside the posh $200,000 home in the hills overlooking Los Angeles. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines cut. The bodies had been dead about 12 hours. They were discovered this morning by a maid who ran screaming to neighbors. One officer summed up the murders when he said, In all my years, I have never seen anything like this before. While the police admitted they had no suspects in the Bel Air massacre, there were two more murders 15 miles away in the Silver Lake section of Los Angeles. Market owner Leo LaBianca and his wife Rosemary were found by their children stabbed and mutilated. The word war was carved into LaBianca's chest, and death to pigs was smeared in the blood of one of the victims. The word pig had been scrawled in blood on the door of the Bel Air mansion where actress Sharon Tate and four others were slain. But police said, despite the similarities, they do not believe the crimes are linked. Did Sharon Tate see the ghost of Paul Byrne? If so, did he try to warn her of some forecoming events? Sharon died only a year after her interview with Richard Kleiner. Since Jean Harlow's death, people who have lived in the home afterward claim to have seen ghosts of both Harlow and Byrne. So was this house cursed? You may be saying no, but Jean Harlow, Paul Byrne, Sharon Tate, and Jay Sebring all lived in the home, and not much longer after. Well, it is a quaint house with a great view of the San Gabriel Mountains, but this Los Feliz property was also the site of a notorious murder that happened almost 50 years ago, and now it's up for sale. On the night of December 6, 1959, in the wealthy Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles, a doctor named Dr. Harold Pearlson killed his sleeping wife. Lillian was killed with a ball-peen hammer to the back of her head. With one strong blow, he left a gaping hole in her skull, killing her instantly. Dr. Pearlson also attempted to kill his oldest daughter the same way. Luckily, he missed and only grazed her head. She fled the house screaming and was found by her neighbors. Dr. Perelson's two youngest children woke up, but he told them that they were only having a nightmare, so they should just go back to sleep. Dr. Perelson ended his rampage by ingesting a deathly cocktail of medicines, which killed him in moments. The crime left three children without their parents, and not much is known about their lives since the crime. Though details are scarce, the house was sold after the murders and apparently rented by another family who wasn't made aware of the violent crimes that occurred within the home. Rumor has it that they fled on the anniversary of the crimes, and that their Christmas tree, complete with wrapped gifts, still remained in the house until 2016. 
Many urban explorers who would jump the fences to take a peek inside the home said that the home was left exactly as it looked 50 years ago, when the family fled for their lives. Vintage SpaghettiOs were seen on the kitchen counter, and a Time magazine from May 9, 1960 was in the living room. We may likely never know exactly what happened to make the family leave in such a hurry. They didn't even gather any of their belongings. The home sold in 2016 after the death of its owner, who never actually ended up living in the home, and the interior was ripped down to its studs. The house was then listed for sale in 2019. However, it did not sell and is no longer on the market. Your sister went into Aokigahara Forest. It's where lost people go to commit suicide. Akikahara, also known as the Sea of Trees, is a forest on the northwestern flank of Mount Fuji, located on the island of Honshu in Japan, thriving on 30 square kilometers of hardened lava laid down by the last major eruption of Mount Fuji in 864 CE. The western edge of Agikahara, where there are several caves that fill with ice in winter, is known as a popular destination for tourist and school trips. Parts of Agikahara are very dense and porous lava rock absorbs sound, contributing to a sense of solitude that some visitors say attribute to the forest. The forest has a dark historical reputation as home of the Yuri ghost and the dead in Japanese mythology. At least since the 1960s, Agigahara has become associated with suicide, eventually becoming known in English by the nickname the Suicide Forest. This has gained a reputation as one of the world's most used suicide sites. Because of this, signs at the head of some trails urge suicidal visitors to think of their families and contact a suicide prevention association. In 2003, 105 bodies were found in the forest exceeding the previous record of 78 in 2002. In 2010, the police recorded more than 200 people having attempted suicide in the forest, of whom 54 completed the act. Suicides are set to increase during March. This is the end of the fiscal year in Japan. As of 2011, the most common means of suicide in the forest was hanging or drug overdose. In recent years, local officials have stopped publicizing the numbers in an attempt to decrease Agigahara's association with suicide. Due to the alarming rate of suicide at the forest, officials have placed a sign at the forest entry urging suicidal visitors to seek help and not take their own lives. Annual body searches have been conducted by police, volunteers, and journalists since 1970. The forest is believed to be extremely haunted. Many locals refuse to even go near it. Many people believe that those who have taken their life in the forest still remain, left to wander the forest alone. Many who live around the area state that if you have any severe mental illness, depression, sadness, or negativity, to not enter the forest and to never go alone. The forest also came into headlines just a few years ago, thanks to a YouTuber. 
At Parenting Alert, about one of the most popular stars on YouTube, outrage is growing overnight about a video Logan Paul posted overnight. It apparently shows someone who took their own life, and ABC's Adrian Banker is here with the story. Good morning, Adrian. Good morning to you too, Georgia. You may not know that your kids are watching this guy, but with a huge impressionable audience, this year he was ranked by Forbes magazine as one of the top entertainment influencers in the world. Major companies pay him considerable amounts of money to post eye-catching videos, but even he says his latest content was his biggest mistake. A video depicting a dead body posted by the popular vlogger Logan Paul was taken down, but only after the damage had already been done. Logan Paul is a social media star with more than 16 million Instagram followers, although a big chunk of that may have fallen off after his visit to the Agikahara forest. Soon after entering the forest, Logan encountered a man's dead body, apparently killed by suicide, and he made it the centerpiece of a nervous video. Apparently, he intended for this encounter to be humorous. Logan then posted the video to his YouTube channel on December 31st, 2017. Yo, are you alive? Paul shouts at the body early in the video. Are you fucking with us? The 15-minute video was taken down. Since its posting, the familial cycle of horrific internet content has played out during in the video, Paul can be seen yelling to the dead man, Yo, are you alive? Are you fucking with us? The 15-minute video was eventually taken down. Logan, although he removed the video, still received criticism from all sides. He later put out an apology with a bit of defense in the writing. He then released a second apology as well, tearful and on camera this time. First though, the video itself Logan intended to share with his viewers a vlog and experience in the forest. This is nothing new as he would post a video almost daily to his channel. But viewers are told straight out of the gate in the beginning of the video that something is different. This is not clickbait. This is the most real vlog I've ever posted on this channel. This was Logan's introduction to the video. He then went on to say, buckle the fuck up because you're never going to see a video like this again. He then goes into a light-hearted intro about Mount Fuji and the forest. But almost as soon as the guide takes Logan and his friends into the forest, they encounter a man's body. According to the New York Times, this is what happens next. The face is blurred, the rest is left visible. Mr. Paul and the others react in shock and Mr. Paul urges the guide to call the police. As a camera pans over the body, which Mr. Paul later says is only about a hundred yards away from the parking lot, he describes its condition and speculates that the death was recent. He apologizes to his viewers and says that suicide, depression, and mental illness are not a joke. Specifically, he comments on the color of the deceased's hands, and he addresses his, quote, Logang, his name for his viewers. Oh no, I'm so sorry, he says, that this was supposed to be a fun vlog. As the group leaves the area where the body was found, Mr. Paul, who was television experience and is trained with comedy and tropes, begins to engage in the kind of behavior most familiar to his viewers exaggerated reactions, shots of nervous laughter, and more. 
The tone soon becomes more antic as Mr. Logan and the others appear to try to lighten the mood. Toward the end of the video, Logan says that his smiling and laughing is, quote, not a portrayal of how I feel about the circumstances. He states that his laughter and comedy is his coping mechanism. The video remained online for about a day. Logan, who was 22 at the time, posted his first apology. He simply stated, I'm sorry. I've never faced criticism like this before because I've never made a mistake like this before. I didn't do it for views. He added, I get views. The second apology appeared a day later. A teary-eyed Logan faces the camera, I've made a severe and continuous lapse in my judgment, and I don't expect to be forgiven. I'm simply here to apologize. What we came across in the forest that day was obviously unplanned. The reactions you saw on tape were raw. They were unfiltered. None of us knew how to react or how to feel. I should have never posted the video. Now I could sit here and tell you all about the backlash and how he was sued, but I just wanted to let you guys know about how it was brought back into headlines just a few years ago. The Agikahara Forest is a beautiful and very sad place, truly known as one of the biggest suicide hotspots in the world, and also one of the most haunted. Thoughts of suicide may feel impossible to overcome, but with help and support, you can find hope and meaning. Call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK to speak to a counselor or visit suicidepreventionlifeline.org. It's free, it's confidential, it's available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And even if it feels like it, you're not alone. guys that is our second episode for the week our spooky treat this spooky season i hope you guys enjoyed this episode and i look forward to talking to you on the next one feel free guys if you'd like to follow me on all social media platforms at the handle oh hey it's harmony and yes that does include tiktok and until the next episode guys stay safe love you later bye